with us to worship together. Uh, again, want to welcome those online with us as well as those who are here for the very first time. Maybe you walked in the door for the first time. We've got a group here this morning that I'm real excited about because this Sunday was kind of the jump ahead Sunday where all the grades moved ahead. So for the very first time, we've got our incoming sixth graders joining us in service. We've got a squad. Give it up for some of our sixth graders. And you... And the most exciting is, you remember that, that son I tell all those stories about? He's sitting over there now. <laughs> he said, I can keep telling stories as long as I give him a treat every time I tell those stories. So, so we'll keep that coming. But love you, Asher. Thanks for being here, buddy. <laughs> but we are excited to be able to share this morning as I'm kicking off a brand new series that I am very excited about. Uh, we just entitled the series Exiles, as uh, we are going to be spending the summer walking through the book of First Peter. First Peter, this is a nearly 2,000-year-old letter that was written to Christians who are facing persecution, and it addresses a question, and this is the question we're going to be wrestling with for this entire series. What does it look like to live for Christ in a world that is often hostile toward faith? What does that look like? Like, what does that look like? I don't, I don't know about you, but that's a relevant question for us today, isn't it? Like, he's writing to this 2,000 years ago, but this is relevant for us today, the world we live in. Because my guess is there are times where some of you are trying to do the right thing. Like, students, you're trying to do the right thing. Or, or, or adults, some of you are trying to make the ethical business decision. Or some of you are trying to live sexually pure. Or some of you are taking the step to forgive somebody who's been a jerk and done something horrible to you. And the people around you are like, you're foolish. That's crazy. Are you stupid? Why are you doing that? Why are you living that way? See, being a Christian, at least in our country, used to be something that people would look favorably upon. Like they say, yeah, that's a, a good thing, but not anymore. So we're going to go back to this question over and over again. And the answer isn't always simple. And it's definitely not always easy. Why do people like Easy Mac? Because it's because it's delicious, okay? No, it's not. They, they like it because it's easy. It's simple, right? And we like things that are easy and simple, things that are black and white. That's what we like. But living faithfully for Jesus can sometimes get messy. There is tension. It can be difficult. And a lot of times we are swimming upstream in a culture going the other direction. And so this is why this is one of our core values is what? Embrace the struggle. Because faith ain't always easy. It's hard sometimes. Knowing how to respond, how to live is challenging sometimes. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to wrestle with this whole idea of faith. This is going to be a challenging series for us. It's going to be a, a discipling series for us. This is going to be one where we're going to have to wrestle some things. And I think the things that we talk about on Sunday morning are the kind of things that you need to take throughout the week to maybe around your table have a discussion your family, with your kids. Maybe this is a discussion you need to have in your small groups throughout the week. Maybe you need to get together with friends and have a discussion. What does this actually look like to live out in my own life? But I think this is going to be something that's going to be really, really good for us, all right? So be ready to dig in. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter? 1 Peter, beginning in verse number 1. If you would, would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read our primary text here this morning? As I say, nothing sacred about it. It's just our tradition to say, God, we honor your words. We're just going to read the greeting here this morning, the first two verses. Verse 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered 
throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to our hearts today. And God, we, we need you to speak to us, Lord. We live in a land where we're hearing a lot of other messages. We need to hear from you today, God. And so, God, I pray for every one of us. We'd have open ears, open hearts to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Give somebody a high five before you're seated, all right? Boom. Uh, how many of you have ever had a moment in life when you felt a little out of place, like you just didn't fit in, you know? Ever have those kind of moments? I know there's a group of us in the room that can feel like that more than others. Where are my introverts in the room? Just nod your head. Just nod. You don't even have to raise a hand. Just nod your head. There you are. Like, I'm an introvert. There's plenty of times where I just, I just don't feel like I fit in or like I feel a little out of place. Like, that's, that's just how I'm wired, you know? I've said this before. My least favorite environment in the world is a wedding reception. Right? Because I got to spend three hours small talking with a bunch of people I don't know, right? Like, I'm, I just feel a little out of place, a little uncomfortable. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. You ever have those times where maybe you're amongst a group and they all know something that you don't, they're talking about a subject that you don't know anything about? You're like, I don't know this. Like, I get around a bunch of guys talking about hunting. I'm going to be honest, I know nothing about hunting. Like, shoot stuff, yeah. Like, I don't know anything. And so I sit there and I'm like, nod my head, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that gun too, right? I don't know anything, okay? I got out of place. Like, there's those moments in life. This happened to me a few years ago. I was, um, I was invited to preach for a youth group, okay? And prior to, so there was a couple hundred students there, right? And I'm excited. I'm like 30 years old. I'm like, yeah, I still can connect with the kids, right? This is going to be great. So I get up and I preach. And the entire time, the teenagers are giving me that look like, you're an idiot. The parents in the room, I think, know what that look looks like, right? Like, and I'm up there and I'm trying. I'm doing my best the whole time. And I'm just like, I don't think they're paying any attention. I'm feeling really bad about myself when this thing is over with. And uh, I, I remember I was driving home and my son Levi is in the back seat. And he's like five or six at the time. And, uh, and so I, I said, hey, buddy. He's like, yeah, dad. I said, do you think I'm cool? He's, he's like, yeah, dad, I think you're cool. I'm like, that's awesome, buddy. I don't think those teenagers thought I was cool. <laughs> like, I would, the whole time, I was just like, it felt uncomfortable. I'm like, I feel a little out of place here. You know, we can feel that way on occasion, but, but this is what 1 Peter is actually written to, a group of people who have that experience. They are living this type of experience. I want to give us a little context before we get into here, because 1 Peter is a letter. The first, first Peter, the entire book is a letter. And so young people in the room, I need to explain something. This is an ancient act that people used to take, an ancient form of communication where you would, all right, no, you would write things down, right? You write a letter down, you put it, give it to somebody, it gets sent to somebody else. And so this is what Peter has done. He has written a letter that is getting sent to this group. Now, who is Peter? Peter is the guy who walked with Jesus, right? He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracle. He's the first one to proclaim, you're the Christ. But he's also the same one who three times denied Jesus when it got really tough. So he knows what it is to kind of deny Jesus when it gets tough. And so he's leaning into this a little bit because ultimately Peter's the guy who turns back to Christ. He ends up preaching on Pentecost. 3,000 people come to faith, and he becomes kind of the cornerstone of, of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And this, it's an amazing thing, okay? But Peter is here trying to speak and, and send this letter to a bunch of believers who are living in the area that today we would call Turkey. 
modern-day Turkey, the nation of Turkey. That's where all of these cities and these groups are located. And he's writing this letter to a bunch of people that are Gentiles. Now, what's a Gentile? Gentile just means you're not a Jew. Okay? So I would guess the majority of us would be considered Gentiles. We're non-Jew. And so these are people who are living their lives, following all their pagan gods, but at some point they came face to face with Christ and they submitted their lives to Jesus. And now they're trying to live faithfully for Christ in a land and in a nation and in an area where people are going the other direction. So it's not always easy. He's writing this in about the year 62 to 64 AD, somewhere around there. So there's persecution going on. For the Christians. And in fact, within two or three years of writing this letter, Peter is martyred for his faith. He is crucified because of his faith. So he gets this whole thing of persecution. And so he's writing this letter. And the question is, why is he writing this letter? He is trying to teach these believers in the circumstance they're living in, teach them how they should think. Like when it's tough, when it's hard, how should you think? What is the right mindset you need to have as followers of Christ? Why is he saying this? Because our mindset matters. Why is that? How we think will ultimately affect how we live. Okay? And so he's trying to get this to us. And so this is a message for us. And so today we're just going to look at the first two verses. We're going to start this letter. And it's really short. Obviously, we read just a couple of verses here. It's not a big deal. But these two short verses are powerful for us. Because in it, he gives these three words. He uses three words to describe his audience. And they are three words that are true of us as followers of Christ. These words are both descriptive and instructive. They're descriptive of who we are, but they're also instructive of how we should behave and how we should live. And the three words are this, elect, exiles, and scattered. Say it out loud with me. Elect exiles scattered. I'm sure you're thinking those are the most exciting words I've ever heard in my life, right? I don't even know what these things mean exactly, okay? Uh, we're going to start and we're going to begin with the word that we picked for this entire series, exiles, exiles. This is the first word we're going to look at. And we're going to dig into the other two words at the end. See, the key reality that Peter is trying to communicate to us is this. We are exiles, it's not super exciting, <laughs> but as followers of Christ, we are exiles. What does scripture say? Scripture says that our citizenship is in heaven, right? We have eternity in store for us. God has protected this inheritance for us, right? All this good stuff is for us, but right now we are exiles. And in other translations, you're like, exiles? What in the world is an exile? Other translations use this word. They use the word temporary residence temporary residence. Now, you understand what an exile is. An exile is someone who has been taken from their homeland and is now forced to live in another place, another location. And now they're trying to live out their life while everything back home is, that. well, that's how things, that's what I'm used to, that's what I'm comfortable with. But here now I'm living in Atlanta, everything's different. How many of you have ever uh, gone overseas, you've lived in another country, or you've traveled to another country just on a vacation or trip, something like that? Okay, Canada does not count, okay? You got it, all right? Okay, a lot of you done that. Some of you wish you could go to another country. I get that. So, so if you've ever been to another country, particularly when they speak another language, you go there and it's like suddenly you're like, I'm in a different place. <laughs> like, like, I don't understand what they're saying. Like, not everything is the same. Like, this word means, like, we're saying the same word, but they don't even mean the same thing anymore. Like, how we behave is different. I just, I don't get it. Like, we understand that. But we do that for, you know, six days, seven days, ten days. You go on a little trip. 
An exile is somebody who lives that reality for the long haul, for the long term. And what Peter is trying to say is that for us as followers of Christ, we are living these 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years as exiles in a foreign land. Now, when you hear the word exile, and you've, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you suddenly make a connection to something that took place in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with this, maybe you, you ever approach Scripture and you're like, I'm confused with Scripture. I don't understand the story of Scripture. Like, I like to read about Jesus, but I'm real confused on the back half. I did a series two years ago called The Big Story. Uh, for nine weeks, we walked through the big story of Scripture, and I kind of gave you the cliff notes of the whole thing. I'd encourage you to go back and watch that series. I think it's helpful in your faith. But there's this point in the story in the Old Testament where God's people are unfaithful to him. They've gone the wrong way, and God rises judgment against his people, and he raises up the Babylonian Empire, right, who was the strongest empire at that time, the strongest known empire at that time. And what they do is they come and they destroy Jerusalem, and they destroy uh, the people of God, and they exile a bunch of the people from, from there into the nation of Babylon. And now you've got these people who are following Yahweh, trying to be faithful to Yahweh while they're living in a totally foreign country. They're living in Babylon. And they have to do this for decades. See, Peter is trying to make a connection to this idea, this concept that we see in the Old Testament. He's trying to say this, listen, we find ourselves in the same state as followers of Christ. We don't understand it always. We don't recognize it, right? We get comfortable here sometimes, but the reality it is we are exiles. We are living in Babylon. Now, my guess is that some of you might say, but Greg, but Greg, we live in America. <laughs> America, right? We live in America. It's a Christian nation, one nation under God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, we were founded on Judeo-Christian values, absolutely. But if you still think this is a Christian nation, I got a bridge to sell you somewhere, okay? Like, that's not the reality, right? This is no longer a nation that is pursuing Christ. And unless we see this reality, right, we will end up having misguided affections and misguided allegiance in our life. I love America. I love our country. I still think it is the greatest country on earth. I think that it has produced so much good in this world. But hear this. America is not some new Jerusalem. All right? It is not some new Jerusalem. Right? This nation will pass away just like every other nation will, right? We are living in Babylon. And the challenge that we have is this. Some of you may need to write this down. The challenge we have is to live in Babylon but not be of Babylon. How do we live in Babylon but not be of Babylon? Because if we don't see this, as Jesus said, we will follow the wide road with everybody else, the way of Babylon, which leads to destruction and death, right? So we've got to get a hold of this. As exiles, we must be able to distinguish the way of Babylon, like the way, the, the way of the world, the way that is contrary, and then the way of Christ. We have to be able to determine the difference and discern the difference. Because too often we as believers, we say we follow Christ, and yet our values and our behaviors and our affections are far more in alignment with Babylon. 
<laughs> Somebody's feeling it. Right? Like, let's just be honest. And I can preach hard at you because I am preaching it myself at the same time. Let's just be honest. So what I'm going to do for the next few moments, I'm going to take the next few minutes here, 10 minutes or so, and I want to just contrast the way of Babylon versus the way of Christ, okay? And my hope is as we talk about this a little bit, that you begin to have a discernment, begin to see how this plays out in our world, but not just how it plays out in other people. How does it play out in your heart and in your life, all right? And so the way of Babylon versus the way of Christ, everything begins with the most important question, and that is, who is king? Who is king? In the way of Babylon, self is king. You're king. You get to sit on the throne of your own life. I'm making my decision. Nobody tells me what to do, right? I make my own decisions, what I think is right, what I, you know, all those things. I am the king of my kingdom. We never talk like that. We never say that out loud, but it's the reality of how we live, Right? I've got my ideas, I've got my values, I've got all those things. You can have your things, i got my things. Don't tell me how to live my life, right? Self is king. The way of Christ, Christ is king. Christ is king. He's the one that sits on the throne. And this is the fundamental issue that every single one of us will have to make a decision on at some point in our life. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Christ. I, I'm just here. Somebody invited me this morning. I'm just checking things out. Listen, I'm so glad you're here today because you're going to get the most important decision that you make for all of your life is this, who gets to sit on the throne of your heart? Is it going to be you? You get that choice. The cool thing is God gives you the freedom to decide who sits on the throne of your heart. You get to decide. You can put yourself there. You just might not like where that ends up. Or you can say, you know what? I can take myself off the throne and I can say Christ is king. And guess what? That's where the goodness of the gospel shows up. That's where the life of the gospel shows up. Now, this, this fundamental starting point has a lot of things that it kind of shows up as. And so the way of Babylon, one of the attitudes is that of pride. Pride. It's like, right? Me. What, what was the fundamental issue from the very beginning? Adam and Eve said, you know what? We're going to do things our way. It's me. It's my way. And pride can show up in a number of ways. It can show up as arrogance in our life, right? We think we're better than other people. Like, that's the way of Babylon. I'm, I'm better than everybody else. Arrogance. And we hate cocky people, but how many of you know you can say you're a follower of Christ and still be full of pride? You've known proud Christians. I'm just going to say this. If pride is evident in someone's life, if that's the fruit of someone's life, they are more following Babylon than they are Christ. And if pride is still coming out of your life, this arrogance coming out of your life, guess what? You're following the way of Babylon, not the way of Christ, okay? But it, it doesn't always show up as arrogance because pride sometimes can show up as insecurity. Why? Because if you're the one who's king, if you're the one on the throne, it's all up to you. And if you don't think you got the goods, suddenly you start getting insecure. But the way of the kingdom and the way of Christ is totally different. It's that of humility. It's this recognition that says, you know what? It's not about me. I'm not pointing the finger at me. I'm pointing the finger at him. It's all about him. And there's something freeing about that. When it doesn't have to be all about you, there's something good in there. There's something freeing in your life. That's the way of Christ. Well, it goes on, and, and we say when it comes to Babylon, truth, pull up the next one, truth is defined by self. See, if you're the one sitting on the throne, if you're the king, suddenly now truth it's all up to you, whatever you think truth is. Why do you think we have so much confusion in our world today? Because you got your truth, and you got your truth, and you got your truth. I got my truth. Don't tell me about mine. This is my truth. You got your truth, right? How many of you know that that's a very confusing way to live, right? 
It's a very, very confusing way to live. I mean, think about it when it comes to from a, rela- a religious standpoint. You know, everybody's like, oh, all these roads lead to God. Guess what? If they all, if all these things are true, then none of them are true. Like, like, like what is truth? I don't know. It's, it's confusing. How, how do we even know? There's no way to know any of those things. Why do you think we live in a world right now where, where there's so much confusion as it relates to sexuality and relates to gender? Why is that? Because everyone gets their own truth in this story. See, this is the fundamental issue. Truth is defined by self. That's the way of Babylon. And, and guess what? You get to do that. If you decide to put yourself on the throne, you get to decide that. I get to decide my own truth. I can have my own truth. But that's not the way of Christ. And if you want to experience the way of Christ and the goodness of Christ, guess what? Truth is defined by God. He is the one who establishes. He, in fact, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We look to him. He is truth. He gets to define those things. And it really doesn't matter if I, if I like his truth or I want his truth or I desire his truth. Guess what? It's a decision to say, I will receive your truth because you are on the throne. And in humility, I choose to submit to those things. Right? And that takes us to the next thing. When it comes to the way of Babylon, the way of Babylon is one of rebellion. One of rebellion. So they say, I'm not doing what you tell me to do. We're naturally predisposed to want to do our own thing. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to live my own life. Right? Because I'm sitting on the throne. I get to do what I want to do. Right? Like, I'm full of, I think I got this. I've got my own truth. I get to decide. I'm not doing what you tell me to do. That's the world that we live in. It's a world full of rebels. We have so many authority issues in the world that we live in. Can you agree? Like nobody wants to submit to any authority, but that's the way of the king. The way of Christ is one of submission. And we're going to talk about this. I love what Will shared last week. First and foremost, it's a submission to God. If we are going to truly follow the way of Christ, it starts by saying, God, I submit all things to you. And you know what? I don't always think the way you do. And I don't always want the things that you want. But God, I have decided because you are on the throne, I've decided to bring everything under your authority and to submit to you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Say, God, I bring it all to you. Does that mean we always like it? Nope, but it means he's always king. And king gets to decide, right? We submit our ways to his ways, right? But it isn't just submitting to him. It's submitting to other leaders in our lives. We're going to get to that later in this book. But he has called us. When, when authorities have been placed in our life, sometimes we say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm rebellious to every other authority that God's put in my life. Sorry, that's the way of Babylon. That's the way of Babylon. That's normal. It's great. You want to do that? Put yourself on the throne, and you can do that all you want to. But if you're going to say you're going to follow Christ, we don't get to do that. We're called to be those who submit to those who have been placed in our life. Are there occasions when we, yes, when a authority is trying to force you to live in a way that is in conflict with being faithful to Christ? Yes, our first authority is, is what we pursue. But, but there are so many times where we just use that as a cop-out to say, oh, I'm not listening to you. You don't love Jesus. It doesn't matter. Right? Is that authority been placed in your life? Our calling is to say, how can we stay submitted in our hearts? That's the way of Christ. And I know some of you are giving me amens and all those kind of things. Yeah, truth and pride and selfishness, all those kind of Those are really great. But it isn't just in how we relate to God. The way of Christ very often is how we relate to others. And this is where it can get sticky for us sometimes. Because the way of Babylon is one of uh, revenge. And it's one of vengeance and retribution. Right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you right back. Right? Like we do this. Well, I'm, don't mess with me. Right? But what's the way of Christ? It's one of forgiveness and grace. When Christ was hanging on the tree, what did he say? Go get him, God. 
Nope, that's not what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the way of Christ. See, the way of Babylon is one of hatred, of opposition, right? You don't agree with me, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm against you, right? And guess what? There are times where there are people who are living the way of Babylon, and we might fully say, oh, they're heading the wrong direction, but what is our heart toward that person? Is our heart hatred and anger toward that person, or is ours the way of Christ, which is a self-sacrificing love? That's the way of Christ. Even to the people we disagree with, even to the people that frustrate us, even to the ones who think differently than us, Christ has called us to a self-sacrificing kind of love. It's not an easy love. It's hard sometimes. It's a love that takes work sometimes, right? The way of Babylon is one that's exploitive. I'm going to exploit other people for my benefit. What's the way of Christ? It's one that pursues righteous justice in all things. Not justice according to the world standards, but righteous, what is right and what is just according to God. That's what we pursue. And ultimately, the, the way of Babylon is one that is temporal. Temporal. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? YOLO, you only live once. Have as much fun as you can. Just milk as much fun out of this experience as you can. Your desire is to seek maximum pleasure. And if all you're living is now, of course, that makes sense. But what is the way of Christ? It's eternal. It's having a mindset that says, okay, I'm not just living for right now. I'm thinking eternally. I'm thinking of what will last. I'm thinking of how can I be a steward of the moments and the times that God has given me because he's given you resources and he's given you intellect and he's given you opportunity. How are you going to leverage that for eternity, invest that for eternity, right? That's the call. That is what it means when we say we follow Christ and the way of Christ. It's a totally different way. And ultimately, you can follow this path. And what does it lead you to? Death. If you follow this path, it leads to life. That's all. And so you may say, well, yeah, but, but I still want to be king. Great. God says you get to be king. You can do whatever you want to. You get that option. You just might not like the outcome. But if you want to receive the good things I have for you, right, the way of Christ leads to Zoe life. That's why he gave his very life for you so you could be invited into something that is so much better than that. But it starts with this point. Who's king? Who is king? And so we live in this world. We are living in Babylon, and we are exiles in a world where this is normative, and this is odd, and this is weird. And we just have to recognize that. We have to understand this reality. And we have to recognize that, that things are not always going to be comfortable for us. It's not always going to be, if you've been fed this thing, follow Jesus and your life's going to be great. I'm sorry. That's not reality. I love you enough to tell you that's not reality. If you've been fed that line, throw it out and let's start over again with some truth for you, Okay. Because I want you to have proper expectations in this fall. Following Christ is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. But it isn't always going to be easy. And so what's the response? What's the mindset we have? Besides just trying to say, okay, I'm going to be faithful to this stuff. What's the response that we need to have? The response, do we just kind of hunker down? Just, I'm just grip my teeth and hold on until Jesus comes. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I think he has more for us, and Peter has two words that lead us to our big so what. So I want to get to our big so what. If you want to write this down, big so what for this morning is this. Christ has called us and sent us. 
Christ has called us and sent us. We are exiles, but we aren't exiles on accident. There's two more words that we talked about. We said we're exiles, but the other two words, the first word is this. He calls us elect. What does that mean? To be elected means that we are chosen. We are chosen. God's love has pursued us in Christ. He has saved us from Babylon. He has rescued us from sin. In fact, in the next chapter of Peter, he says that he's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our status as exiles should not be one that depresses us and, oh, woe is me, I'm an exile. No, no, no. It should fill us with hope that there is an eternity in store for us, a recognition that there is life available for us. This is not the end. This is not what we are living for. There is so much more. It should give us hope. We are chosen in Christ. It is good news for every one of us. We have been called by the King of Kings. We are called, but we are also sent. What's the other word? Scattered. Scattered. What does that mean? The the Greek word is diaspora. It means dispersed. Dispersed. He has not called us to hide in a commune somewhere in the woods, right? Let's just try and get away from all the evil out there. No, he's not called us that. He's dispersed us. He's scattered us, right? I love this, how it starts. You know, what does he say? God's exile scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. And I just love thinking about this. We are God's elect exiles scattered through Burnsville, and Savage, Lakeville, Prior Lake, right? Apple Valley, Meegan. He's just scattering us out, right? All over. He's placed us where we are. Every single one of us, wherever you are, we are where we are for a reason. Because there's a desperate world that needs the hope of Christ. There is a world that is headed toward death. They're following the wide, wide road and going to end in death. But he's saying, listen, I'm going to put you in the way. I'm going to get you in the way. You're, you're there for a reason. So students, he has placed you in that school. Adults, he has put you in that workplace. He's put you in that neighborhood. He's put you in that family with those family members that drive you crazy. He has put you there for a reason, right? He's put you there to bring the hope of Christ to those who desperately desperately need it. And if we're not careful, we can sometimes see our mission field as a nuisance or annoyance. These people, can't believe these people. Guess what? God has called you there. May we not ever get spiritually arrogant for those who are following the way of Babylon. They don't know any better. Instead, could we have a heart of compassion? You know, Jesus told a parable of this guy who was praying He's praying, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. God, would that never be our heart? Would we be those that say, God, maybe my heart isn't right right now. God, would you break my heart again? I need you to break my heart because these people are driving me crazy. But, God, you died for them, and you love them, and I want to I give my life for them too. God, I want to care for them. I want to love them compassionately. I want to lead them to the hope that I have in Christ, right? Because God's people were sent to Babylon, right? Remember he, the Israelites are taken to Babylon. And God actually said something. He said, listen, I want you to, I want you to set, you're going to be there for a little while. Settle down. You're going to you're gonna have to get a job. You're going to have to work hard, do these kind of things. But listen, as you receive the blessings of God, guess what? You're going to be a blessing in the community that you're living in over the next few years. 
And the calling that God has given us is, guess what? We're not here to hunker down and just wait till Jesus comes. No, he's placed us, he's scattered us all around. Why? To be a blessing, to bring hope, to make impact, to make a difference wherever we're at. And so I don't ever want us to be the kind of church that just sits on our butts and does nothing. I want to be the kind of church that says, okay, God, what are you calling me to? Where are you leading me to? What are you asking of me? How can I be faithful to what you put in my hands? How can I be faithful to the people that you put in relationship with me? How can I live that out? I want to be that kind of a follower of Christ. I want us to be that kind of a church, all right? So I'm going to invite you to stand with me across the room. So I want to take a moment to respond. You maybe just need to have a moment. I'm going to invite our worship team out as well. But if you're here this morning, you would say, you know what, Lord? Lord, I want, I want to submit everything to you, God. I, I want to be the one who sees myself as sent. I don't want to just sit back. God, I want to, I want to answer the call where you've called me. I want, to, I want to live out my faith wherever you've placed me. If that's you this morning, just as a simple act of faith, I just want you to put your hands in the air and just say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Wherever you call me, whatever you want, God, I'm here for you. And I just want to pray, begin to pray a blessing over us. Begin to just do that on your own way. Just pray a prayer of, of, of surrender to Christ. Say, God, I'm yours. God, have your way in me, Lord Jesus. Have your way in me, Lord Jesus. God, we offer ourselves to you here today. God, we offer ourselves here today. God, we're, we're desiring to serve you, to worship you, to glorify you in everything that we are. God, we want to honor you. God, we want our lives to glorify you, Jesus. God, we don't want to be just settled with where we are. God, going about the business, just trying to make some money and taking some pleasure. God, we want to invest in the things that are eternal. God, we want to care for those who are far from you. God, we want to have eyes that break. God, when we see those who are far from you, we're not frustrated. Instead, there's compassion that wells up in our heart. And God, I'm going to be honest, God, I can't muster that up in my heart. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to do that inside of me. I need you to begin to wreck me. I need you to begin to transform me, to change me, God. Would you do that in every single one of our hearts, God? God, that we would see that this week. We would see things differently. We would pursue people differently. We would long to be used for your glory, Lord Jesus. Would you do that in us, Lord Jesus? Would you do that in us, Lord Jesus? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.